are at week three of our four-week January 2020 focus on the vision we have here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. In week one, I introduced the new tagline for our church, the, the line that's going to appear under our name going forward, and that is becoming community in Christ, becoming community in Christ. So accordingly, week one, the vision word was becoming. Last week, week two, the vision word was community. Today, week three, the vision word is, I know what some of you think it is. I know what some of you have wagered money that it is. And you think the word is in. Because some of you think I can make an entire sermon out of the word in, I-N. And I just might rise to that challenge. But today's not the day. The word for today is community, part two. Since community is by God's design so vital to everything that we are going to accomplish for the kingdom of Christ here on earth, it both deserves and requires a second week. So here we go, and C.S. Lewis is going to get us into the focus of community for today. I'm going to read this quote from Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. He writes, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Lewis reminds us here that you and I cannot dismiss anyone as unimportant or ordinary or common. How a person looks to us right now is temporary. A person's situation as it appears to us right now, either good or bad, is only temporary. Lewis calls us to think biblically. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that we all, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so every person that we meet is moving toward more and more glory, or that person is moving toward what Isaiah describes. In the very last verse, the very last chapter of his book, Isaiah 66, God is speaking. He says, they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. 
Jesus says of that place of abhorrence, that it's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so one of these two destinations, glory, corruption, awaits every one of us in this room. And every person that we encounter, wherever we go throughout the day, one of these destinations awaits them. This is reality for all people of all time. So, you and I, as a community, must reach out to our community to seek to move them to glory in Jesus. That's what we ought to do. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we consider community again. Returning once again to John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles out, if you would open them now and turn to the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find one there in the pew in front of you. And when you've found your place, let's stand together so we might hear read the word of the living God. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, this is Jesus praying with his disciples in the upper room, the last night of his life. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory of that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be where I am to see my glory, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would once again open our ears and our hearts to hear your truth. As you pray this prayer, really for us, Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask that you be faithful to, to your role, to give us life, to give us the ability to see and to hear and to understand and then give us the power and the strength to live by the truth that you reveal to us this morning. Lord, help us see community as you see it, to live it as you want it lived. Community to be reached out to, Lord, as you seek us to reach out to your community. For all these things, we need your help and we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. And be seated. Let's take just a minute and review community part one before we start talking about community part two. Last week we saw that since you and I and all human beings are created in the image of God, that means by necessity that you and I are also created for community because God himself lives in community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, yet one God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. When you and I live together in community, 
we are reflecting the Godhead. And the Godhead has dwelt together in perfect community from eternity past. Now, obviously, our community here on earth is never going to look like the perfect community that the Godhead experiences. But you and I can, can look to the, to the Godhead to model what community should look like for us. And so last week we saw four characteristics, four characteristics that describe the Godhead and the community they enjoy together. Number one, they have clear roles and responsibilities. So we seek here at Redeemer within our community, our church, our community groups, to have clear roles, to have clear responsibilities. Number two, in the community of the Godhead, there is among them perfect communication. Therefore, we strive to the best of our ability within community to have very clear communication, not only to be heard, but also to hear. We seek to set aside insecurity or defensiveness or envy as we communicate one with the other. Number three, the members of the Godhead are mutually submissive, willingly submissive to each other. Therefore, within our community here at Redeemer, we strive to be willingly and mutually submissive one to another. We strive to consider others as better than ourselves. Number four, we saw that the members of the Godhead have perfect love for each other. They love each other perfectly. That's why they can submit one to the other without fear, without envy, without competition. They don't need to because they love each other so perfectly. Therefore, we strive here at Redeemer as a community to love each other deeply and from the heart. We seek to be this kind of community internally for each other. We seek to reflect these characteristics of the Godhead within community with each other because we believe that outreach to the community is bringing people into community. We, you and I, must have community in Christ before we can invite others to have community in Christ. You and I have to love and care about one another before we'll ever love or care about someone outside of our community. The gospel must be at work inside our community, inside our relationships, before we can expect the gospel to work outside in that community. And that's exactly where Jesus expects the gospel to work in both places. And so he prays first for the disciples who are already in community with him. He prays for them first. But then he prays also for those who will believe through their word, through the community, outside of faith. Look in verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. See, Jesus is praying here for those who have not yet believed in him. Those who are not yet in community, but for those who will believe in him. And after believing in him, will be in community. Look in verse 21. Jesus says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look in verse 23. So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
See, the world, the world is on Jesus' heart as he prays in the upper room with the disciples the last night of his life. And we know what Jesus means by the world. John in chapter 1 writes, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So you and I get the idea. The world, it's a dark place. Jesus made the world, and he made it beautiful. But sin marred the beauty of every single aspect of what God created. Sin darkened, sin blackened the world. And as a result, this world needs light. Now here's the good news, that Jesus is the light of the world. Is that good news? He didn't ask. We didn't ask him to come and shine his light. Here's more good news. Jesus chose to come and shine his life. It's all of him. The world. It's not just a place. The world is a people. People that John tells us did not know Jesus. But people who need to know Jesus. And the good news is that people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Is that good news? You were in darkness. I was in darkness. We've seen the light. Because Jesus chose to shine his light in our hearts. This is the world. It's on the heart of Jesus as he prays here. He prays for those who will come out of the darkness and into the light. What's Jesus' plan for bringing light to the dark world? It's community. Beginning first with this first community, these 11 remaining disciples, apostles, this band of brothers, through them, communities of believers, churches, are going to be formed in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus says so. So while Jesus is praying for this community of apostles, those who were already experiencing community with each other and with him, he has in mind those who are outside of that community. And so it must always be for those who follow Christ. So it must always be for those upon whom and in whom the light of Jesus has shined. We must have the heart that Jesus had. We must not only turn inward to ourselves and focus only on ourselves. We must not run into this place as if it's a castle and draw up and pull up the drawbridge to protect ourselves from those on the outside. No. We must care about those outside of our community, those in darkness. We must remember that they are not ordinary, but they are instead immortal. And so we must pray for them as Jesus did. Believe me, I know how offensive these words sound in our culture. To suggest, how dare we? That anyone who does not believe as we believe that there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. To suggest that those who don't believe that are somehow in darkness or headed toward corruption. But here's the question. 
does Jesus believe they are heading in that direction? The answer is yes. So I don't know about you, but I'm sticking with Jesus. I don't care what our culture says. I don't care what they believe. I care what Jesus says is true. And I hope you'll believe it too. So that together, you and I as a community, will believe how real this need is. That you and I together will believe that there are two destinies that await everyone. And that we'll want to do something about it. What can we do? What can we do? First, we can be community. Somehow, Jesus has designed it so that when we're in community, it indicates to the community outside these walls that's watching us that Jesus is who he said he is, the one sent by God. Look again at verse 21. Jesus says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, there's community. That they also may be in us, there's community. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our community, as we seek to continually become what Jesus intends us to be, in some way, our community proves the divinity of Jesus. Can you even fathom that? I'm sure you are all familiar with the Pygmalion effect. You know, that phenomenon where someone's expectations on a person or a group actually impacts the performance of that individual or that group. If I expect something of you and you know that I expect it of you, somehow you do what I expect of you. That's the way the Pygmalion effect works. And so I'm going to use the Pygmalion effect on us this morning. You ready? All right, here goes. Our church is glorious. Our community groups at Redeemer are glorious. Now, after you get over the shock of those statements, and after you stop thinking about all the other adjectives you would use to describe church or community group that is not the word glorious, then look with me. In verse 22, and let's change our expectations. Jesus prays there, The glory that you have given me, I have given them. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. Notice the corporate aspect of this prayer. Jesus has given them glory. Can you imagine? If Jesus has given us glory, glory like what the Father gave him, how do you think he expects us to think about ourselves corporately? How do you think he expects us to act corporately? What impact do you think he expects we will have when we embrace this identity as glorious? Glory, it's one of those words that is so difficult to define. It has such a range of meaning. It can mean the condition of being bright or shining. It can mean splendor or radiance. It can refer to a state of being magnificent. It can refer to fame, renown, honor, prestige. It can describe a transcendent being that deserves honor. And these definitions help us. 
but it still remains difficult to define and understand glory. We just know, we have a sense that glory is what God has. And that glory is what makes God, God. So that's what Moses asked to see. He, he said this, Lord, please show me your glory. And God responded, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory, my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take away my hand that you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Why? It's the glory of the Lord. We can't define it. We know that when Moses met with God in the tent of meeting, his face literally shined. It glowed with the reflected glory of God. We know that the Lord said, the prophet Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the fire was, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low. Gentle whisper, glory is fearsome, it's awesome, it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's rock shattering, but it's also a gentle whisper. God's glory is what makes him impressive to people. God's glory is what gets our attention and demands that we say with awe, and wonder, He is God. Jesus talks about this glory in the beginning of His prayer. Look up in verse 5. Jesus prays, And now, Father, glorify me in Your own presence with the glory that I had before, with You before the world existed. So there is before the world existed glory. Jesus focuses on glory again at the end of his prayer. Look in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. And so here's before time, glory. And here's after time, glory. And maybe we can't define it very well, but these passages help us feel what glory is. They help us feel the, the godness of it. And then to think that Jesus gives that glory to us. How can we even fathom it? We are to be a glorious community. William Hendrickson, in his commentary on these verses, says that the glory to which Jesus here refers, that they are the graces which adorn those who have been drawn out of the darkness and into the light. The graces of those who have been drawn out of darkness and brought into light. It, glory is reflected in the redeeming love and power of Christ. When God dwells in His Son, 
And when the Son through the Spirit dwells in those who have placed their trust in Him, then naturally these believers become partakers of all the riches that are in Christ. Pardon, righteousness, love, joy, knowledge, wisdom. These are glory for you and for me. Jesus' entire life reflected the glory of the Father. John chapter 1, John writes, we, we have seen, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Living by grace. Living by truth. Maybe that's what glory looks like. Maybe we reflect glory when together we live by grace, but also by the truth of God. Glory happens among us when you and I imitate all the graces of Jesus. So think about that. And Pygmalion yourself. Expect for right now that your life should reflect the glory of Jesus. That's what Jesus expects. That's what Jesus makes possible through prayer, through the study of the Word, through drawing closer to Jesus. Take hold of the glory that Jesus has given to you. And when your life is glorious, you are going to make a difference in your community here and in the community out there. So let's begin to see our community as Jesus sees it, and He sees it as glorious. If you begin to think about your community as having what Jesus says that He has given to us, glory, then you're going to think differently. And you're going to act differently toward that community. Where are you going tonight? Oh, I'm going to my glorious community group. Please imagine. Listen to what God intends to do with this glory that He's given to us. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation this morning because it's just a little easier to access when you're only listening. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory, greater glory, under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. You and I, our community, we can be bold because the great glory that we have been given in Jesus through the gospel makes us bold. We 
can believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, who brings life, that hearts will be changed, that people's eternal destinations, that their immortal condition will change from corruption to ever-increasing glory. Do you want to see that? Do you want to see that? Do you want to see that? Yes, we want to see that in the lives of people outside in our community. And so our vision is for community to be glorious so that the world will look in on us and know that the Father sent Jesus the Son because we live, because we move around people who are not ordinary, but rather among people who are immortal. And so the calling that God has placed on our community is that we see more and more people being changed from one degree of glory until another, until together we are glorified in the presence of our glorious Savior. Jesus has given us community, and Jesus has given our community glory toward that end. Jesus has also told us the end of those who do not respond to his light and turn in faith to him. And it's not a good end. And perhaps Jesus has told us the end of people who do not believe to inspire within us compassion and mercy and love. The same compassion, mercy, and love that made the life and the work of Jesus glorious so that that will mark our lives as well. So that people looking in on us will be in awe of our community so that they will wonder how we, so varied and so different, and really, we are varied. We are different people. How can those people, how can those crazy Presbyterians achieve such loving, glorious community? And you know what we can say? Jesus did it. Jesus gave us his glory so that we might be this kind of community. And so that's our vision. And our vision is so important that we are changing our logo. And so I conclude with this. Take your bulletin. Everybody have a bulletin? Can you take your bulletin? If you'll open it to page 6. And if you will look at the bottom of page 6, you will see a very rough draft of what we are hoping will become our new logo here at Redeemer so that we might reflect in visual form what we believe and the, and the vision that God has given to us. So are, are you all looking at it? As I said, this is a rough draft. If you will look at the circles on the outside, those individual circles represent you and me, each of us as individuals. And the line Connecting those circles indicate that you and I are together community in Christ. If you'll look, you'll see lines going inward. And those lines are going inward to a cross. And that cross represents Christ. He is the center of all things. And you and I together as a community should always be moving toward him. And you'll see around that cross... A crown, a crown of thorns, because that indicates that Christ is indeed king of our lives. You also notice that from those circles, there are emanating lines that go to the outside. 
And that indicates that our vision here at Redeemer is that we will not only focus inward on each other, that we won't only be moving toward Christ together, though that is eminently important, but that we will also be looking outward, outside to our community. That's what Christ has called us to, and that's the purpose for which he has given us his glory. So we're asking you this, and we're going to talk about it more uh, next door. Give us your thought, give us your input on this logo. These are the elements, and we want it to reflect really well what we believe here, that we are becoming community in Christ, community that looks around, community that looks in, but community that looks outward as well. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask again for the power of your Spirit to convince us of your truth. Lord, we, we thank you. We don't have to ask for your glory. You've already given it to us, Lord, your words. I have given them my glory. Those are your words, Lord. And so with grateful hearts, we receive what you have given to us. Father, we pray that we would use well what you have given to us. It's mercy, compassion, grace, pardon, wisdom, grace, truth. All the things, Lord, that marked your life as a glorious one. May those things mark our lives as well. Lord, it's vitally important that we use the gift that you have given to us for the sake of one another, for the sake of drawing closer to one another and together drawing closer to you, but for the sake of our community. Lord, these are hard words. These are difficult words. When we think of the eternal destiny of those who don't know you, Lord, they're words that are rarely even spoken in church today because they might offend people because, oh, people may never come back if you talk that way. Lord, help us value more deeply what you say is true. And this is your truth about immortality, about eternal destinations. Help us to embrace it, Lord, and help the reality of it inspire us to have a heart as you had a heart for the community that people might, through the good news of the gospel, be brought to you and to community. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.